Hi, I'm Dave Scott. I'm pastor of Crossway Community Church, and I want to welcome you. Crossway is a church simply committed to making disciples. We meet at 1501 Woodbury Road. It's off of Colonial and Fort Wayne in East Orlando. Come check us out. I look forward to meeting you. Well, let me pray and dismiss uh, Crossway Kids. <clears throat> Lord, we, we do pray as we just sang that, oh Lord, you would speak to us. Speak to us through your word, God. We know you've already spoken, but we pray that you would apply it to our hearts. Both here and in Crossway Kids, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Hang on a sec. Get my computer woken up. Um, we're in our series on the Gospel of John, and this week we come to chapter 4. Just a reminder that once again, and you're going to see this theme emphasized by John again and again and again, the main theme here is uh, to believe and live. And as we're looking at the Gospel of John here, we're really trying to explore who Jesus is and, and how we can know him more intimately ourselves. Um, we come to John chapter 4, which is a, a very famous uh, passage of uh, the woman at the well. But for us, it's really Jesus at our well. And I want you to think about that through that lens this morning as we look at chapter 4 here, um, putting ourselves in her, in her shoes. It's very easy to view this story with her at a distance. Um, but we know from the incarnation that Christ is the one seeking us out, right? Um, and uh, so there's a couple different things I think we can learn from this passage. The first one is, is that I need to encounter Jesus more fully. I think the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, teaches us that we need to encounter Jesus more fully. In John chapter 4, starting in verse 4, says, and he, he had to pass through Samaria, and so he came to the, the town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his sons, and Jacob's well was there. So this, I just want to note, this is, John is, he's once again giving specific geographical detail. This is holy geography. He's referring back to the Old Testament. He's saying this is, this ground is, is, is a special ground. And, uh, but what he's, his point is, is that Jesus, who's speaking here, is more important than Jacob or his sons or Jacob's well. Jesus is the Canaan land. He is our homeland. And, uh, Whereas this woman was fixated on uh, her homeland and, and being in a minority status in uh, Palestine, uh, it's, it's easy to understand why she might be. But Jesus points back to that he is homeland. Don't look for homeland anywhere other than with Jesus. And it's very easy for us to do that. So Jesus says, so Jesus, worried as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well as it was about the sixth hour. So the sixth hour means that it was noon. And uh, Jesus had been hiking, you know, all day in the sun in the Middle East. And I have, we haven't had a chance to go to the Holy Land. It's on our bucket list to do. Some of y'all been there. It's hot. Uh, and uh, um, uh, but and so Jesus was sweating. He was tired. And John, once again, emphasized the humanity of Jesus because he's talking about the incarnation, that Jesus is both God and man. And so his stories are, are, are showing that Jesus was a man just like us. Um, you know, Jesus got tired just like we do. Jesus wanted to sit down. <laughs> you know, times where you just want to sit, look for a place to sit down. Just give me a place to sit down, right? Um, and uh, 
To know the divinity of Jesus, we have to sit down and spend time with the humanity of Jesus. The reason why in these episodes, these stories that we're going to see in the Gospels, like Nicodemus we saw last week and the woman here, that they're able to relate to Jesus is because he came to them as a man. And we have to approach him the same way. You know, many of us feel exhausted. Many of us feel tired. Uh, maybe you do. Um, you know, Jesus sees you. He knows you where you're at. Because he, know, he knew what it was he can meet you and I at our well. And it says in verse 7 that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, the Samaritans were half-breeds. Um, the Jews hated them. They, they felt like the Samaritan religion was a bastardized religion. Uh, it had been polluted. And, uh, and so uh, it's interesting that this woman came at noon. You know, it's typically not the time of day that you would go to a well to draw water. It's like, what time do we mow our lawns here in Florida? In the morning, everybody knows that, right? You don't go out at noon to do that. No. So there's a reason. You know, she, she was, for some reason, some, some people suggest, uh, it's, it's speculation, that maybe she was ostracized because of, of who she was. Um, but uh, we know that she was, she was promiscuous uh, by what the story tells us. Um, and so this wasn't just a Samaritan woman. This, this, this wasn't just Samaritan. It was a woman. Women were in a lesser place in, in those cultures. But she was also a, a sinner. And so we have an interesting contrast that John has between Nicodemus here, right, the religious person who needs Jesus, just as much as the sinner needs Jesus uh, in the next chapter, chapter 4, where we are today. Um, how, and she says, how is it that he would have anything to do with me? right? She, she doesn't understand why Jesus would relate to her. And many of us like that live in the shadows of shame, right? And it, sometimes because of our stories, because of our histories, it's hard for us to approach Christ. And, uh, but Jesus wants to break through those shackles of the past, and he wants to reach our hearts. So the Samaritan woman, like the Gentiles, you know, they were actually, they're actually considered to be in a perpetual state of uncleanness. And this is why Jews wouldn't even talk to them or wouldn't have anything to do with them. And so Jesus talking to him is a major deal, but he actually talks to her about religion. And in this culture, in that day and age, men didn't talk to women about theology. So here's Jesus, a male, single, he's religious, and he's Jewish, and he's not supposed to be doing this. I just want to put an asterisk here and note that Jesus elevates women. Jesus is honoring this woman. He sees this woman, and he respects this woman. And Jesus totally flips the culture because God has a different view than our culture does. Um, but uh, then he goes on and says that um, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman told him, How is it you, a Jew, ask for me a drink, a woman from Samaria? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would ask to him, and he would have given you living waters. Now, there's an Old Testament allusion here, and it's to Numbers chapter 21. And it's to the waters of Meribah, where... The people of Israel were wandering in the desert, and they complained about being thirsty. And God tells Moses that uh, uh, you need to take a staff and strike the rock. And this is interesting because right, the story in, in Numbers right before this is when the serpent was lifted up, right? 
And that was alluded to in John chapter 3, the previous chapter. So it's interesting that those two, those two things are paralleled here as well, the story of Meribah. And it says in Numbers chapter 21, the, the water came out abundantly and the congregation drank. Isaiah 12.3 says that with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, speaking of the Savior who was to come. Uh, so this is an Old Testament allusion that prophesies to a reality that Christ himself fulfilled. Well, it goes on, and John talks about how that he would have, he said, Jesus says, he would have given you living water. Living water is flowing water. It's moving water. Um, Y'all been to Wakiva Springs? Uh, Don and I went uh, kayaking there, and uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting. You know, it's, it's like an alligator just sitting over there about 10 or 15 feet away, sitting on the bank, right? But the water coming out of Wakiva Springs is huge. It's flowing. Uh, that's true with all these springs, like Blue Springs, other springs that are around here. Wakiva gives over 45 million gallons a day. Uh, water is coming out of the ground. And uh, Jesus' offer of living water, it's interesting here, signals a reversal of the curse and the barrenness of a fallen world. Um, in, uh, uh, in Isaiah 35, uh, verses 1 and 7, it says, The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert shall rejoice. The blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly. For waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and thirsty ground springs of water. I want you just to note again, you see the, the word pictures here of abundance, of flourishing. These are, once again, uh, word pictures that point to new creation. You say, David, you're fixated on new creation. I just want to point that this comes up in the text again and again and again. Why? Because this is a major theme. The fall was huge, but God didn't leave the story at the fall. What, where, what is the next movement? That he, we have Christ coming, right? He pays the price in order to restore, to have restoration. And that's why new creation again and again is alluded to both in the Old Testament and it's picked up again in the New Testament. But that's what this this picture of water flowing, of abundance, right, of life that God brings out of death. Well, in verse uh, 11, it says, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Well, you know, uh, who is the one here who has nothing to draw water with? Is it really Jesus? No, the one who doesn't have anyone to draw water with is the woman. And the same thing's true of us as well. We don't have anything to draw water with. The things that we have tried to draw water with are leaky. They don't hold water. Well, Jesus does. His well is deep enough. It's a well of grace and mercy and love and peace and hope. And that's what he uh, communicates and opens up to this woman well, in verse 12, it says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it, as did our, his sons and his livestock. What's John's answer? <laughs> Is Jesus bigger than Jacob? Yes, that's the whole point, right? This ancient well was connected to you know, what the Old Testament heroes. But Jesus is greater than the patriarchs. Jesus is greater than the Old Testament. That's been John's theme all the way from chapter 1 when he talked about him being greater than Moses. Is Jesus greater than my well, the place that I go to for life? Is he greater than the hole that I have dug in my life? Is he greater than the bucket that I have held on to trying to find 
life and water from. John says, Jesus is greater. Then in verse 13, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give, he will never thirst again. The water I will give him will be like a a spring in him, welling to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and have to come to the water. And um, Amy's already quoted here from Isaiah 55, and it's very appropriate because it's it's another Old Testament backdrop to what we're seeing going on here in John chapter 4, where it says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the waters. This Messiah who is coming, he is the one who will supply our thirst. He is the one who will have the waters of life. So one of the things that's interesting uh, here is to see in, as the chapter flows, how this woman comes to realize who Christ is progressively. Um, she says, uh, she starts out, you know, saying uh, she, she recognizes uh, Jesus is a Jew. She calls him sir or Lord. Then he call, she calls him a prophet. Then she calls him Messiah and Christ, rabbi, and saved. And the whole crowd calls him and identifies him as the savior of the world. Of the world. You see this progressive identification, this realization of who Jesus is. And Jesus says, emphatically, he says, uh, uh, let me go back. Um, He says, I am, I who speak to you am he. I emphatically am he. The disciple never stops asking who is Jesus. As disciples, we should never stop asking that question. Do I think I already know the answer? Do you think you already know the answer because you've been a Christian so long, you've gone to church already? Do you really know the depths of who Jesus is? Um, we never stop unpacking that. And I think that's one of the messages here to understand. You know, John the Baptist, I mean, and John and his apostles is again and again recognizing who the identity of Christ is. And he uses a number of different stories of people realizing it. First in chapter one, it was John the Baptist who was declaring it. It was the Trinity who affirmed Jesus' identity at his, at his baptism. Andrew is the one who identifies him as the Messiah. Many at the wedding of Canaan, it says, believed in him. Nicodemus says, you've done these miracles. You have to be from God. And here, Jesus himself says, I am the Christ. I who speak to you am he. So it crescendos to where Christ himself now fully embraces, takes on the mantle of of all the Old Testament prophecies, that he is the fulfillment of everything that they have been looking for. Is Jesus my Christ? I mean, yes, I mean, I, I made a decision to trust Christ many, many years ago, but is he the Christ of my marriage, of my work, of my time, of my talents, of my money, of my thought life? Is he the Christ of my problems, the Christ of my loneliness, the Christ of my pain? Is he the Christ in my depression? I don't know what you're going through, health problems or job problems. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ Jesus is the Savior who came. What does that mean to you in those circumstances? You know, this summer, as you all know, uh, because it's just leaked out of me, um, uh, that God wanted me to deal with some trauma that I've experienced in my life. And, and many of you have dealt with trauma as well. It's a part of your story. And so one of the things in my walk with the Lord that I've been only sitting with is allowing to sit with him, Emmanuel, God with me, to unpack that 
to allow him to be the Christ who speaks into our pain. Pain is actually one of the ways that we can, vehicles where we can become the most intimate with God. If like David, if we will be raw and we'll be honest with him and come to him exactly as we are in the Psalms, if we can approach God that same way. And that's one of the things that God's stretching me in. I'm not there yet, but it's an area that I'm, that I'm growing in. Um, but so we need to encounter Jesus more fully. But number two, we also need to know myself more deeply. Go back to verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. You know, when Shannon was, was reading this passage, that's the phrase that stuck out to me. I was closing my eyes to listen to it because uh, I just wanted to hear it audibly. But that's the phrase that leaped out to me. I have no husband. She had no one that loved her. She had no place of belonging. And that's what we're all seeking, right? Someone who's unconditionally committed to us. Even as Christ, the husband, is committed to his bride, the church. She says, I have no husband. For she, and Jesus says, right, you're right to say I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're now with is not your husband. What you said is true. And the woman said to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> are you willing to let Jesus speak prophetically to you about your past, about your brokenness? We need Jesus to speak the truth into our hearts. Jesus saw her heart. And, you know, it's, we're, we're many times when this happens, we're very hesitant, right? We pull back, we draw back. And, and she does the same thing. She deflects. Notice in verse 20 what she says. She says, our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we should ought to worship. And, you know, if you shared your faith in evangelism, you know people do this. They'll say, oh, well, what about X, Y, Z? And well, what about this over here? And they'll, they'll throw out these arguments, right, They're, that are red herrings. Because we do the same thing because we don't want to deal with the issue of our heart. And so we'll, show, we'll throw up smoke screens. Um, you know, it's easy to play the game of religion. Even for us and who already are followers of Christ, we can fall back into this old habit, these old grooves right in our flesh of leaning into, feeling comfortable with the different measurements that we check ourselves off by, that we measure ourselves by or consider ourselves approved. But uh, Jesus is calling this woman to authentic life. In Jeremiah 22, verse 13, the Old Testament prophet says, for my, God says through him, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. You know, the first part of being a disciple, we talked about this from the great commandment, right, is to love God with all of your heart. Dallas Willard says, know thyself to know God. We have to know our own heart in order to fully love God with it, right? We have to in order to give something to Christ, we have to name it. We have to identify it. So as disciples, we never stop conversing with Jesus about the state of our heart. We're all on a journey. We all need to stay with intentionality. We need to give attention to, we need to attend to our hearts. 
That's what Proverbs says. Watch your heart, for from it are the springs of life. Ask yourself, am I in a heart conversation with Jesus about who I am? You know, when, when you find yourself being overwhelmed with emotion, whatever it is, anger or fear, ask yourselves, what's going on in my heart? What's that really about? Jesus wants to speak into that our hearts with living water as well. So we need to encounter Jesus more fully. We need to know ourselves more deeply. And the third lesson for us as disciples is we need to depend more on the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, and neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship, you worship who you do not know. We worship who we know, for salvation is from the Jews, he says. But he says, uh, the hour is coming, is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking, says people, to worship him. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him and worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will, let, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus is saying there's a new era that's coming. It's not about where the temple is. It's not about whether it's, it's uh, uh, where you think it is or whether it's in Jerusalem. That's not the point. The point isn't where you go to church. That is not the point. The point is, is do you have a relationship, a living relationship with God through the Holy Spirit? Are you abiding in his Holy Spirit? God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit. You can't fake God out. It's not about going through the motions. It's about our heart, right? And, we, and Jesus says that the spirit is now poured out as a new living water. Um, look, look at, uh, at Zechariah chapter 14, verse 8. On that day, the living water shall flow out of Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea, and shall continue in summer as in winter. The picture here is of an artesian well. Uh, I grew up for about five years of my life in Jacksonville. We had an artesian well. Anybody all ever had an artesian well before? An artesian well has its own pressure. You do, it doesn't need a pump. It has, it has a natural pressure from the ground where it just comes out of the ground. That's the picture here of, of, of the Holy Spirit springing forth, coming forth, right? And the living water is flowing out of the temple in Jerusalem. And Ezekiel 47 says that everything will live where the river grows, where the river goes. You see, wherever the Holy Spirit grows, he's, he, is, he is regenerating new life. New life is springing up. Everything will live where the river goes. Waters that make us spiritually alive, the water that makes us spiritually alive is the Holy Spirit. That's who we live. That's our connection to Christ. So we need to converse daily with the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said we need to abide, make our home in, right? His Spirit, to trust in, to live from, to make our hearts home there. I need to depend more on the Holy Spirit. All of us do. That's, the, that's the, the Christian walk is more and more, day by day, progressively turning over areas of our life, submitting, yielding to the Holy Spirit. But lastly, I need to share more regularly what I have learned from Jesus. I need to share more regularly what I've learned from Jesus. In uh, uh, verse uh, 43, and, uh, it says, the disciples came back and they said, they're marveled. He was talking to the woman 
And, 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 and no one said, what, why do you seek? Why are you talking to your See, Jesus is having a conversation. The Gospels are just about conversation after conversation after conversation. Jesus has, is connecting with people wherever he goes. Hope is a virus, but it's spread through conversation. And I'm an introvert. Donna's an extrovert. It works for us. But, you know, I have to learn to take the initiative, Right? I can't just be a turtle and stay back in my shell where it's comfortable. Uh, I need to reach out and connect with people to have conversation. Uh, and so in um, uh, verse 28, it says, uh, So the woman left her jar, and she went away to town, and she said to people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can, can this be the Christ? And they went out of town, and they were coming to him. Now I want to give you um, uh, three tips here on... Uh, on uh, missional conversations, on gospel conversations with people. The first one is this, is front yards and sidewalks. We don't have natural organic community here in America. David could tell you, <laughs> he was sharing with me, that one of the things Ida really misses is just being able to walk the streets like she could in Havana, walk out her door, and everybody, especially at dusk, everybody in Havana comes onto the street because they live, they have community. We don't have that. So we have to find ways to connect with people. So when you see a neighbor walking their dog coming down the street or, 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 or uh, pushing their kid in a stroller, you need to go out and reach and connect with them. You know, unfortunately, the way our communities are here in Orlando, everybody lives in their backyard, right? Uh, where I grew up in the South, we had a big front porch. And we had a swing on it. We had rocking chairs because people lived on their front porches. And we don't do that here. One of the things I've really wanted to do, we haven't figured out how to do it yet. I'd love to have my fire pit in the front yard. Why is that? Because if we were sitting around it, we'd meet more neighbors. We have a swing that we, we sit there and, and we love to swing. So I'm just, think about ways that you can put yourself out uh, facing the world. You can connect with the world walking working in your yard, other people working in the yard, strike up conversations. The second tip I have is retail and name tags. What do I mean by that? Retail is, we all interact with retail, people in retail every day. We connect with them, right? Whether it's the gas station, uh, Mary Jo and I, we go to Circle K, we get our drink, our free drink every day. So I know those people, I've learned, but the thing is I look at their name tag and I say their name. I've developed a habit because people don't, people work at cashiers, they're never acknowledged as a person and they're always surprised when you use their name. Just read their name tag and say, hey, how was your day? How's it going? Make a connection. And, you know, one of the ways they train missionaries when they go into a new culture is to develop a routine, to develop a route that you do where you visit the same people in the same market every day. This is, this is one way we can do it. If we develop habits of connecting with people regularly, then people are going to begin recognizing you and you're going to be develop conversations over time, building bridges. So this just happened to me this morning. I had a conversation. Uh, we have a different watering hole here in America. Any of y'all Starbucks addicts? So I had to get my caffeine on the way to church. The drive through long was, was, was too long, so I, I parked and I went in. Sure enough, there wasn't anybody waiting. So I ordered what I always get, which is a Grande Nitro Cold Brew with sweet cream. And uh, you've got your, yours, maybe yours is longer than what you've rattled off than I did. And the guy, so he said, it's Dave, right? And I was like, how'd you know it's Dave? Because I hadn't scanned my app. He said, well, you're, you're, you're here. I've recognized you being here on Sunday mornings. 
Well, immediately I looked at his name tag. His name tag was Jamal. And I said, well, how are you doing, Jamal? He's like, I'm going, I'm doing well. I said, well, I hope you have a blessed day. And as I was waiting for my order, um, I noticed that he was out, uh, you know, working with the napkins and where they have all this, you know, the, the, the sugar and all the stirs and stuff. So um, I went over and talked to him. I said, Jamal, I said, what, 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 where's that from? Where's your name from? And he said, well, I'm from Sri Lanka. I'm, I'm a Muslim. And I said, Salam Aleikum. And he said, Malekum Salam. So if you want to know one of the keys of evangelism to any Muslim, immediately to get credibility with them is to say, Salam Aleikum. It means peace to you. It's the greeting that it, you would say to anyone that you, that you come up in a, Muslim, in a Muslim culture. It's the first thing you say, peace to you. And they say, peace to you as well. Salam Aleikum. As soon as I said that, he, I'd guarantee you Muslims here are not used to somebody speaking Arabic to them, especially not somebody wishing peace on them. This is the Abrahamic blessing of Genesis chapter 12. Peace be unto you. Be blessed. This is the beginning of the gospel message. You know, we talk about the gospel message. One of the simple ways to, to share it is with the three circles. Um, the first circle is that God created a perfect world, Right. The second world is the second circle is it's a broken world. When I say salam aleichem, I'm pointing to the shalom, right? The 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 wholeness of which creation was that we all know isn't here. But immediately, it's very easy to transition. That man, this world's messed up, man. It, and he talked about being in Sri Lanka. Well, I mean, we, immediately you can make a transition to, uh, you know. Uh, the, the conflict in this world, even between Muslims and, 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 and Christians, the brokenness we have, then there's only one, once you, if you made that, there's only one more transition to make, and that's the person who is shalom, the one who's, who paid the price for all the conflict and sin that we have, right? And that's Christ. And this is a simple question. Have you ever developed a personal relationship with him? In two words, shalom malekim, you already have the basis for a gospel conversation with the Muslim. And I guarantee you, you have their attention because nobody ever says that. But another tool to use is what I call the 15-second testimony. The 15-second testimony is a two or three sentence. Uh, in sales, you'd call it your elevator speech. Um, those of you who've done sales, uh, I sold books in, in college, so um, yeah, I won't, I won't do that again. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I learned a lot from it. Um, it's just sharing your story in a very quick, condensed fashion. Now, you can tell a longer story. It's like an accordion. You need to learn how to compress or expand your story. 15-second testimonies is, yeah, my name's Dave. You know, I grew up, I thought it was all about me being religious and being good. But then I found out that I couldn't do that, and Christ died for my sin. And it was really about a personal relationship with him. Have you ever made a discovery of knowing Christ personally? 15-second testimony. It's my story. It's, a, it's, it's just a nugget of it. I could expand on it, but it's 15 seconds. I can do that with the cashier uh, over, as, as we just exchange pleasantries. So what I want to do real quick, just take a minute, turn to a person beside you, pair up. I just want you to give your 15-second testimony. This is just, I know this is rough. I'm hitting you cold. Just to tell your story in two or three sentences, okay? One of y'all, just try, okay? We're just going to try. Just, this is just practice, because one of the things we want to do here, Ephesians 4.12, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. You're the saints, so we're going to practice just a little bit. So you can divide up if you need to uh, connect to somebody who's sitting by themselves uh, just for a second. It's, we'll only take a minute here, and then, then we'll stop and we'll go back.
All right, switch. You know, it's got to be fast. I know you're cutting off your circle. You, hey, these can't be preachimonies. You can't tell a whole book. Just 15 seconds, okay? Somebody else try. All right, we're going to pull back together. I'm going to call a timeout here. I know I'm cutting you off mid-sentence. But I hope by doing that is enough for you to say, hey, I need to think about what I'm going to say. He's like, David, how could I know what to say? You cut me cold. That's the whole point. You need to think about what you're going to say. Work on trying to come up with a very concise, just explanation, a little picture of your story, right? Because then in 15 seconds, all kinds of conversations. Dave can tell you <laughs> on the big island, they have to wait in lines. <laughs> they have lots of opportunities for a 15-second 15 15 testimony. But we do as well. But if you're not prepared in season and out of season, then you won't be able to take advantage of those opportunities. So these are, these are just a few tips. Because what we see here in chapter 4 is how Jesus takes the initiative. He, he created a moment to connect with this woman, a reason why he as a Jewish man would actually have a conversation with a Samaritan woman. But he's the one who took the initiative for that, and we have to do the same thing as well. So that's why I'm, we're working here thinking about specific applications. But verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food that you do not know about. And the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus said, having these kind of conversations, taking the initiative, thinking about what to say, the question that you're going to ask is the food of his father. This is the food of the, what he lives off. This is what he came here to do. Verse 35, it says, do not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, look with your eyes. See that the fields are white with harvest. If I have a connection with someone, it means that the Holy Spirit is preparing them. He's already orchestrated for this to happen. I have to move into that conversation with this assumption. This isn't just a random connection. There's a reason why I met Jamal this morning. There's a reason. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to get my nitro brew with cold sweet cream next Sunday. And we're going to continue that conversation. Right? Jesus said, this is the will of my Father. This is uh, what it's all about. It's the harvest that's ripe for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving his wages, gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. There's nothing like leading someone and introducing them to Christ. There's no greater joy, he says. Um, uh, I've sent you to reap that which you didn't labor. Others have labored, and you enter into their labor. You know, God uses people all through their stories preparing them. You know, some of y'all have children, adult children that aren't walking with Christ. And I know that you pray for them and there are burdens on your heart. Pray that God will bring other people to come water the seeds that you have planted, right? 
And just know that, okay, God's probably got other people in Jamal's life that he's also using to connect him. I just have to have that assumption. God's watering the seed. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. Do you see the ripple effects? Uh, how do we have an impact in East Orlando? It comes through conversations. It comes to just small moments, small glimpses of time where we have an opportunity to connect with someone, to make them feel seen and known by calling out their name and then asking them, how are they doing? Jesus says, he is the living water. These thirsty people, he wants to pour out from us. In John chapter 7, and we're going to get there eventually, uh, uh, Jesus quotes uh, the Old Testament. In the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He's quoting Isaiah 55. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you see that Jesus, who is the living water, actually made this woman, this Samaritan woman, a fountain of living water to the other people in her community. Why? Because she goes and tells her testimony. Who drinks from a fountain? Other people drink from the fountain. If God makes me a fountain of living water, it's for the benefit of other people. The eternal life, uh, living water, is not just for me. It's so that I can overflow, right, and connect to those who are around me. It says... And verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Jesus said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. The woman said, but for we have heard ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Well, I want you to hear the rest of the story. The rest of the story is in Acts chapter 8. And the apostles, in Acts chapter 8, this uh, gospel that starts in Jerusalem is echoing out, right? Through Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. Acts chapter 8. Now the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. And then they sent Peter and John to go water, right? Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And now they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, and they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. See, started with Jesus, with one conversation that impacted one village, and now we see this whole region that the gospel is now spreading out through, through the testimony of Jesus' disciples. God has given us a Jerusalem, Right? We need to be intentional about here in East Jerusalem, the opportunities that we have. Uh, but he's also brought Samaria. Samaria is often just in the other side of the street, the other side of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the cash register. Samaria is now across the street and literally beside us at work, and God has brought the remotest parts of the earth to us. Here, we have the opportunity to connect with them because they now live here with us as our neighbors, as well as being intentional. You know, and that's one of the reasons why we have intentional strategic partnerships that Crossway does around the world, right? Because we believe in leveraging our 
gathered resources here. We're better together. We can have more impact together, and we're doing that around the world in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. This church is about making disciples. That's what it's about. It's not about making church. That's what you know what Crossway is about. It's about making disciples and making disciples, a community of one another, us doing life together on this journey and inviting other people into that circle as well. God, we come to you and we know that only you can do this through your Holy Spirit. Lord, only your living waters flowing out of us, even as they touched us, now transforming our lives, Lord, and touching other people as well, we pray. This week, give us those opportunities of divine conversations, divine moments, so that we can come and hear back next week and talk about God at work. We want to see you at work. God, we pray, work, do greater works. Lord, so that this is obviously not Crossway. It's obviously not Dave. This is a God thing. We give you the honor and the glory and the praise. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and listening to this message from Crossway Community Church. Once again, we meet at 1045 on Sunday mornings at 1501 Woodbury Road, which is just off Colonial and 408 in East Orlando. Come check us out. I'll see you then.